Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Loftus Party Podcast. My name, fortunately, is Michael Loftus. I'm going to be your host. We've got a great show for you. Here's how it's going to go. We have uh, my very good friend, very funny dude, talented stand-up, talented writer. And now he's doing all kinds of other stuff. Uh, Rock Rubin is on the show. Pretty stoked about that. Yeah. And then later on, everybody's going to skadoosh over to the Patreon segment, where I'll be getting into the uh, the Britney Griner of it all, the Ooh. Twitter of it all, the FBI of it all. Yeah, lot to lot to break down over there. And yes, I might be talking about book sales for yours truly. If you purchase the book, you're an awesome human being, and you're better than people who haven't purchased the book. And if you've purchased the book and left a review, you're better than the people who bought the book and didn't leave a review on Amazon. I just want to be I just want to be upfront and, and honest about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Rock, I'm so glad you're on the show, bud. Uh, I'm s- fantastic. I'm so uh, happy to be on the show. You, you've I've heard you talking about it and it's growing and it's getting big. And uh, it's an yeah. honor, guy. Honor oh, with an H, oh, capital H. Now, for for our listeners, for our listeners out there in in podcast land, you're you're at home. You're in Southern California. I am in Southern California, looking out the window at some beautiful sunshine. A little crisp. We're getting the crisp uh, fall air, so it's probably fifty uh, something degrees. But, Oof. Uh, All right. But, but beautiful. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna hop into the wayback machine before we get into like the old man talk of like the weather, because like. This is this is a rough time of year for me, guy. In uh, being, I'm on I'm out on Long Island. We just Ooh. did uh, we did an episode of that show tonight. Last night, night. we did our, ha- our little holiday episode. Nice, insane amounts of fun. But you were originally from Long Island. That's where you got started doing stand up. So you started as a stand up, then you got into TV writing, doing features. We're that's where I think the meat and potatoes. Of this uh, of this convo is going to be, guy. Well, we uh, we joined forces there towards the, the end of that, so uh, that's where we met. But yeah, I started on Long Island, um, very late '80s, which yeah. was kind of what the kids were calling the comedy boom. There were clubs opening up all over the place, and one nighters, and I was very fortunate to be starting comedy at a time where there were more comedy clubs and one-nighters than comedians so yeah hey how many how many how many clubs were out here on because right now uh i play governors a lot i'll do mcguire's there's a uh there's a third one i can never remember the name of the brokerage the brokerage uh, and then there's a there's another one at um oh smith smithtown smithtown performing arts all great clubs all great, All great clubs. clubs. But that's yeah. four, dude. How many How many did you have when you were starting out? So when I started out, there was um, Governor's was there, same yep. location. Um, McGuire's was there, it's much smaller. Uh, they've expanded into, you know, as the places in the shopping center went out of business, they kept stretching, right. stretching the club. Um, Brokerage was there. Uh, there was a club called Eastside Comedy, which was the first club I went up to, which you know the owner, Richie Minervini, the great Richie Minervini. Yes. Uh, and there was a club called Chuckles, which ultimately I believe his brother owned. Richie's brother, I think, owned it originally. Um, so there were five full-time like A rooms, 
and then yeah. a ton of you know Tuesday night shows or Wednesday night one nightery kind of thing so uh, that was just Long Island you know then you go into the city and there was a ton of clubs and Pips in Brooklyn and the tri-state area there was there was no shortage of places to uh, to work just in the tri-state area wow so it was a, like the it was, Simpsons it was good times I was like you know how you, need, you don't have any credits and you try to like pad your resume when they introduce you yeah so it was once you started to work like New Jersey and Connecticut, you could then say, just say works clubs and colleges all over the tri-state area. It's a big, <laughs> that's how you knew you were somebody. Did you lie about working <laughs> clubs and colleges? Cause I remember I hadn't really, <laughs> I hadn't really worked any colleges. So like you've seen them at, I always, my intro was you've seen them at clubs all over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I did do because my agency had some colleges that they booked, so I didn't do a ton of them. But I it was more than one, so I could say clubs and colleges. I think it was probably five, five yeah. colleges I did. Um, so yeah, clubs and colleges. That was the first one. Uh, working all over, I guess, is the first one. Yeah. Uh, and then clubs and colleges, and then tr- if you could throw in tri-state area, you were you were somebody. I t- I, this drives me crazy to this day. There's a lot. Of, we all have our little bugaboos. I cannot stand it when comics lie about their intros. I can remember being the MC at a, at, at shows, and this guy just uh, just you know tell him comedy. Uh, was it Comedy Central back in the day, or was it the Comedy Channel? They go just just tell him the Comedy Channel and the Tonight Show. And I'm like, dude, you've been on the Tonight Show? Eh, nah, but they don't know. And I'm like, well, I do. You prick, and I would never do it. I would never do but that's it just demeans the whole thing. And I here's the other one I hate. When people go, Oh, uh, you saw him, you know, you've seen him on uh, on Comedy Central and and you saw him on the, in the movie, you know, Miller's Crossing or something. And like, wow, you were in Miller's Crossing? I was an extra, but you know, like, no, you can't claim that as a credit. <laughs> yeah, I know it's hard, you know, when you're starting out, you just want those credits. And then you kind of, as you go along and you actually get a few credits, you realize, oh, they don't mean shit to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not a draw. Yeah. It's, are you funny or are you not funny? But it does give you that good feeling walking to the stage with like, yeah, I was on, you know, evening at the improv. That's right. Fuckers. <laughs> Here's the one that, that, that is always the kiss of death. And maybe it just gets into my head. I, uh, when, when somebody introduces you and they go, Oh, you're gonna love this next guy. He's hilarious. He's been crushing all week. Like, you can just feel the audience just, just tightening up going, Oh yeah, we'll prove it prove it like it's it's adversarial after that yeah it's it's uh the worst intro i ever had i was in at the improv in los angeles doing a showcase i came out from new york and i you know i had run my set a couple times and then you know big showcase and as you know those are hard shows when it's all industry people they don't really laugh they're kind of evaluating you so it's a tough crowd and this guy who was hosting the show was on the show I rehearsed that the night before where I had a really good show. So he's like, this guy is the funniest guy. I saw him last night. He is so funny. He's the next Jim Carrey. I'm telling you, oh. this guy's, th- there's no similarities between me and Jim Carrey. Nothing no. o- other than we use a microphone. 
I ate it so hard. They were so mad that I wasn't the next Jim Carrey. They didn't care, <laughs> they didn't care what I said. You know, and I, my agent's like, what happened? I go, he told me, he told them I was the next Jim Carrey. That's what happened. Uh, but yeah, that's the worst. Never, never oversell it. It's, I had a guy, oh my God, who was the, he was like this alternative comic, real big in the, in the, like the alternative scene, like before the alternative scene exploded. And so I do a showcase. My managers at the time, I, I did a showcase for all these showrunners. And it was like in this, where the hell was it? It was like in this really weird, like m little mini theater screening room. Ugh. And the guy comes out and he goes, all right, everybody, here's the one you're waiting for. This is the guy you're all going to want to write a show for. <laughs> I'm like, you dick. And uh, I came, I came up, and it was just, it was just horrible. It was just horrible. It was like the most judgmental room I'd ever been in. And I'm like, uh, come on, you know what? I, I know what's going on here. I'm not a moron. So, you know, fuck this whole thing. What do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> it's the worst. It, it, it's a good tactic if you're competing with that person. You know what I mean? If the host yeah. is trying to win over the, the just just do that to everybody and, and yeah. everybody will eat it and uh, you'll look like a hero or a very, so, or a very bad judge of talent. <laughs> so, so when did you move out to LA? Cause I went out in, I went out in the, at the end of 98. That's um, that's around. Well, I, I guess uh, I came out to do the King of Queens. I had started in stand up with oh. Kevin, Kevin James and his brother, Gary Valentine and Adam Ferrara. We had our little, you know, we all have these classes of comics that kind of come up together and, Kevin had uh, done Raymond's show. He was friends with Ray Romano and did a little guest spot on there before he got his deal to do King of Queens. So he, Kevin brought me out to write on King of Queens in late 98. Yeah, about uh, June, I think I came out. Okay, see, here's what that's – I'm so glad you're, you're, you're talking about this. I always thought that you went out to L.A. and then Kevin came out later. No, I, we we used to go. In fact, he and I were uh, would go out four pilot seasons before that. We'd come out for two weeks, three weeks, you know, go on a few auditions, hope to catch lightning in a bottle. Um, so yeah, no, we came out together uh, periodically, and then when the show came, actually Ray Romano told him, "Hey man, get get as many writers as you can, or one or two, that know your voice, you know, because a lot of the writers." won't know you from a hole in a wall when the show starts. So yeah. you, you could help, you know, oh, he's funny when he does this, or he does this funny bit, or he does this impression, or, you know, this physical thing. And so I came along for that. I had never, you know, thought in a million years that I'd be doing a sitcom writer, but I kind of liked it. It was fun, you know, being in yeah. the room, pitching jokes, eating Chinese food. There's a lot to like. <laughs> Dig it. <laughs> Dig it. Now, with... You told a story one time, and I think Kevin was in the room, and then we watched the commercial. You guys both went out for the same – it was a commercial audition. I think it was for a pizza place or a chicken place. Yes, that was a funny story. So we came out for pilot season, which, as you know, when you're a working comic, to come out to L.A. to make no money, every week you're there, you're kind of – you know, it's an expensive uh, proposition with hotels yeah. and food and you're not making much. And so we came out and we were kind of all going on. Kevin and I, our agent at the time had us going on. Uh, someone told him I should be a game show host, which I had 
I don't know if you know what that means, but right. uh, so I'm getting game show auditions, which I didn't want. And then Kevin gets this commercial audition for a non-union chicken, uh, p- I'm sorry, pizza uh, commercial. Yeah. And we're both getting frustrated that we're being put out for things that we don't want to do. And we're not getting put out for the, the types of things like sitcoms and whatever pilots, movies, movies that we want to do. So we were getting frustrated and we go in this room and there's, I don't know, 20 good looking actors with black turtlenecks on rehearsing their sides. And Kevin walks in, looks nothing like them. And he's like, what am I doing here? So, <laughs> so it was for a chicken pizza. That was, they, they were introducing a new chicken pizza. So I dared Kevin to just go berserk in the room. <laughs> and he, the, the, director came out and he looked like uh, Kenny Rogers with the big gray beard and gray hair. Yeah. Uh, and he, br- they bring Kevin in and he, and he goes, what's up fucker? Which, you know, as you know, Kevin doesn't really <laughs> use much profanity, but he just said, they walked in the room. I hear screaming, clucking. It sounds like a fight, like furniture being turned over. Cause I can't see the doors closed. Right. And he's screaming like a chicken and uh, clucking and, all of a sudden, he comes out, opens the door, and he says, send the contracts to my agents. And storms, and every actor in the room is like, what happened? We walk out. We're laughing. Not short, Shortly thereafter, our agent calls Kevin and goes, what did you do in there? You can't do that. You can't just, you know, be an asshole, uh, you know, at these auditions. You know, it makes yeah. me look bad. And, you know, da, 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 and, you know, it's a pizza commercial. I made some choices. What do you want me to say? Well, it, it's really not good what you did. Four hours later, he had to call Kevin back and say he booked it. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, Kevin tells a funny story about that, that when he met the, the director and they're shooting the, the people from the pizza company, they sent the CEO all the tapes of the comedians or their favorite comedians, and he didn't like any of them. And he goes, there was one more, but I don't think you're going to like them. They weren't going to show Kevin's oh, tape. Oh, wow. And then the guy goes, that's the guy. Like, that's what I'm looking for. And so Kevin, I think, ended up doing, I don't know, six of them for good money. You know, put some coin in the bank. and Yeah, I, I can remember sitting in his office. You and I were working on uh, uh, Kevin Can Wait. And, and <laughs> that's like, you guys are telling me that story. And, like, uh, Kevin just starts smiling, like beaming with pride. <laughs> And then we pull him up on YouTube and there was a bunch of them. And it, it was like, he was insane in those. Yes, he was insane. And it was all because we were just frustrated at, you know, kind of not really getting the types of auditions and things we, you know, uh, not that we were in any kind of demand to get those things, but, uh, you know, we yeah. certainly weren't looking for non-union pizza commercials. Well, those are those are like always the stories that you hear, like like Danny DeVito uh, getting the role of, you know, Louis De Palma on Taxi. You know, he didn't even read from the script. He just came in and threw the, you know, who wrote this shit? And uh, and it's funny, man. I, I booked a pilot one time because I was so I was so pissed off about the parking. You know, they're like, hey, are you ready? I'm like, no, I'm not. And I didn't know, didn't know they were rolling the cameras. And I go, no, I'm not. I got to get this. Listen, they got to do something about the parking over. This is insane. 
this is insane. And they're like cracking up laughing. So I'm staring into the curve of it, you know, about like, you know, and do you validate and where do you park? And I don't want to, I don't want to get stabbed to get a. And they just go, okay, we're good. You don't even have to read. And I'm like, oh, all right. And like on the way home, I got the call. They want you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. I mean, I, I remember I was at um, Caroline's Comedy Club in Manhattan, which and sadly I believe is just announced they're closing their doors. No. Uh, yeah, I think January, New Year's Eve, I think is their last night. Wow. Um, but I love the club, and and I did a. It was a. I think it was a Saturday night or a Friday night, and so the first two shows were you know sold out, great shows, and then I still had. This was in the days when they used to do like a late show, and there was maybe 25, 30 people in the audience, and yeah. after doing two sold out shows, it was like ah, such a bummer. So I didn't want to do my jokes, that you know my material because. They're not going to really laugh. They they weren't laughing at the other comedians very much. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. And I, I there was a, a fire extinguisher near the stage, and I brought that on. I don't, I don't even know what I said. I think I discharged the fire extinguisher. Right. I was just I was just riffing, you know, and having fun with it because you know it was late and I was tired and like you say, punchy a little bit. And the next day. On Monday, they go, the this HBO show wants you to come in right away to like today. And I go, they saw you at Caroline's. And I go, what show? Because the first two were great. And they go, no, it was a late show. I was like, wow. what? So I don't even know what I said <laughs> or what I did. <laughs> I went in and uh, I ended up not booking it because it was a prompter show where I had to read from a prompter, which I'd never done at that point. Yeah. So I wasn't, I didn't have the fingertip. The fingertip position. You see, down. I think I don't know for for like comics who are this is a, this is a always a, it's a weird toss up, man. Like I like the stand up scene a lot better in New York than I did in L.A. Hundred With L.A. and you can't blame anybody; it's nobody's fault. But like like your uh, your HBO story, that kind of crap happens all the time in L.A. Like I never felt. Like I could really work on new material. I could never like dive in and do a bunch of new stuff because you never know who's in the audience. You yeah. literally never know. I remember one time, dude, I got this uh, letter in the mail from Walt, the, the Walt Disney Company, and they go, "We had been, we've been sending out secret shoppers and people just to check out the comedy scene in Los Angeles, and one of our one of our uh, executives saw you." And they wouldn't say what show or what club. But I'm mm. like, oh, my. So you can never you can never like really take a risk. But like, I don't know. There's just like you like the scene in New York better. Oh, uh, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't really do the scene in L.A. Uh, on a regular basis. In other words, I was here and I would do spots, but I yeah. wasn't really I was working on a show. So. I, I kind of had other stuff going on that I wasn't really networking or hanging out or trying new material. I was just trying to stay somewhat sharp and doing stand up. Right. Uh, so New York, I did a lot, but th for me coming from Long Island, I could do anything I wanted on Long Island, but I did, I did feel a little bit of that pressure going into the city because there were people, talent scouts in the audience. I knew, yeah. I knew not, you know, not, as much as LA, but you didn't know for sure who was there and you don't want to do something, uh, career yeah. ending. I never, 
I never, <laughs> in all in all the shows I've done in Manhattan, I've never just started riffing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a game plan. I'm always like locked and loaded. Let's just keep everything in the kill box. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. So here's what I want to do, because I think I was probably starting on Lopez right when you were starting uh, with uh, with King of Queens. But I want to talk about sitcoms. I want to talk about King of Queens. I want to talk about uh, the features uh, and the stuff you're doing now. But uh, so everybody, stick right around. We're going to take a little break. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Mike, founder of DollarShaveClub.com. What is DollarShaveClub.com? Well, for a dollar a month, we send high-quality razors right to your door. Yeah, a dollar. Are the blades any good? No. Our blades are f***ing great. Each razor has stainless steel blades and aloe vera lubricating strip and a pivot head. It's so gentle a toddler could use it. And do you like spending $20 a month on brand name razors? 19 go to Roger Federer. I'm good at tennis. And do you think your razor needs a vibrating handle, a flashlight, a back scratcher, and 10 blades? Your handsome ass grandfather had one blade and polio. Looking good, pop up! Stop paying for shave tech you don't need. And stop forgetting to buy your blades every month. Alejandro and I are gonna ship them right to you. We're not just selling razors, we're also making new jobs. Alejandro, what were you doing last month? Not working. What are you doing now? Working. I'm no Vanderbilt, but this train makes hay. So stop forgetting to buy your blades every month and start deciding where you're gonna stack all those dollar bills I'm saving you. We are dollarshaveclub.com and the party is on. We're back, everybody, with Rock Rubin. We are we're talking comedy. We've uh, here's what we've done. We've done devoted the, the A block to like an origin story. Some would call it the prequel. <laughs> and now, now we're getting to the meat and potatoes. We're getting into the uh, the studio of it all, the sitcoms of it all. That one. Now I have to. So so you were King of Queens. I was over on uh, George Lopez. We both had kind of different paths to get there. Were you involved with the with the pilot on King of Queens? I I, I read it, and uh, not really. Um, they shot the pilot with, uh, I think you know this, but uh, the pilot was not shot with Jerry Stiller. It was shot with comedian Jack Carter. Yeah, that's right. So they shot it and then i think les moonve they had asked jerry stiller and jerry turned it down he had just come off seinfeld uh lived in new york what didn't really want to go to la and les moonve said i don't like jack carter in this part i want jerry stiller if you can convince jerry stiller to do it i'll put it on the air wow so kevin flew and met with jerry and 
you know, I forget who else, you know, everybody that could stroke Jerry and, you know, I had no idea. I had no idea about that. I didn't know. I didn't know Kevin. So that's two people that Kevin had to convince to do the show because he had to convince Leah, too. Yeah. 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 She was first and then they met and then that they had a good meeting. Leah had just come off getting canceled. I think it was a show called Fired Up. Uh, that got canceled, and I, I want to say it ran a year, maybe a little over a season. You know, it was a good amount of episodes, though. And so she was kind of frustrated, you know. Yeah. Thought that was going to be her big break, and then immediately want to dive into doing a show with an unknown comedian, which Kevin was at the time. So she didn't have a great uh, drive to do the show. And then Kevin met with her and she loved Kevin and, you know, they've been such great friends ever since. So she was on, she was on uh, the podcast many moons ago and I forget the show. She told me she really wanted, she really wanted this other show and she couldn't even get an audition. (laughs) I believe, I believe she was up for friends at one point. I think she was a finalist for uh, Rachel. That's Jennifer Anderson's part. I, th- I want to say it was her. Uh, she didn't get that, which she, I think she really wanted. I don't know what else she was looking at at that time, but she was so she was so adorable back then. What happened, Rock? <laughs> <laughs> She's so, the best. She's the best. Oh yeah, I tell you what, that was. Uh, I can't imagine. I I cannot imagine. We had a good. We had a good cast over on the Lopez show. And I got I got zero complaints about anybody on the Lopez show. But when we were doing uh, Kevin Can Wait together, and I had never met you, and I had never met, uh, you know, Kevin, any of it. So I was, when when Leah came in and did that, that guest spot at the end of season one, it's crazy. And this is gonna sound like such Hollywood bullshit, but the chemistry between those two was just crazy. Yeah, they they always were from day one, really. And I think, you know, people were, would be surprised. But back in the day, like, we'd go out to, you know, hang out at a restaurant or a club. And Kevin and Leah and other others from the show would go out and hang out. And Kevin would hang out with Leah's, you know, go over there. It was, it was a real friendship. And, you know, in a, kind of a brother-sister way that they would give each other shit all the time but they truly do love each other and love working together and you know you saw it in the in the dressing room how they would just go at each other and yeah and laugh all day long and uh, yeah you can't you know you can't uh there's no pill for that you either have that chemistry or you don't and you know i was So, so fortunate to see it right and then it's like i'm always jealous and i i told Ray Romano about this too. He and I, we were on a, a show together at uh, uh, Hermosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club, just a phenomenal club. And uh, and Ray, <laughs> Ray wanted to leave. Ray wanted to leave right after a set. And the owner of the club, Mike Lacey, had the kitchen put together this giant spread, like this giant <laughs> spread of food. And so Ray's like, oh, "Who's this for?" You know, and I'm like, "Dude, I think that's for you." And he's like, "Okay, well, you got you got to stay here and eat this." Like, so he was like too embarrassed. He couldn't say no, and he couldn't leave. But we uh, we were talking about sitcoms and and yada 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 because like uh, Ray had that that thing on on Everybody Loves Raymond, where like a word wouldn't even have to be spoken. 
to get a yeah. huge laugh. And I was always like so jealous of that. Like you guys had that in spades on uh, on uh, uh, King of Queens. You know, just you just cut to Jerry Stiller. Just cut to Jerry Stiller's reaction. And everyone's yeah, yeah. laughing. It's like cheating, you fucker. Well, it's funny because Kevin, you know, we used to look at our scripts compared, you know, because Kevin and Ray were friends and we would get their scripts. And so their scripts were like 10 page shorter than our scripts because they had not only one reaction, but when, you know, Ray would say something, the wife would have a reaction, the father yeah. would have a reaction, you know, they all had a, uh, his brother would have a reaction. And you just, it's cut, cut, cut. And every, you knew what everyone was thinking. It was so funny where Kevin and, you know, and I, when I do stand up, uh, don't like the silence, you know, you want to just keep the foot on the gas. So yeah, Kevin and Leah would both have that sort of thing where they would, you know, really kind of just keep the, keep it moving kind of thing. And, you know, Kevin, as he got more experience would sit down in the minute, the moment a little longer, but, uh, Comparatively, they their the amount of reaction shots they had were five times ours. It was it was so interesting to see. Yeah, my uh, uh I was before he passed. Uh, Sam Simon, he and yeah, I the great show Sam together, Simon. and he was a he was a writer and producer on Taxi, and he would talk about the laugh spread when they added Reverend Jim. He goes, it was crazy. Like you'd have <laughs> you'd have the final you'd, you'd have the final you know, pages that like, okay, so that's that we edited down the show and this is what's going to air. And you'd send that script to the network. So they would have it. It'd be like 26 pages. Yeah. yeah. Just the lap spreads were so huge. So now where did you guys, where did you film that? What's, what's, what lot were you on? King of Queens was at the Sony lot. Okay. Um, Yeah. We were there at stage 28, I believe. All Uh, right. Yeah, we were there for nine years, two hundred and seven episodes worth. Wow! Uh, you get you get used to being in that spot. That's for sure. It was uh, it was a second home, you know. How see now? That's like a movie lot. I was on on Lopez. We were over on Warner Brothers and uh, in the Valley, and I would always remember like walking across the Warner Brothers lot and looking up at that tower and being like, "Dude, you got to appreciate this. This is crazy. This is yep. this is crazy that you're." But like Sony, that was like a real movie lot. Did you ever, do you ever just like walk onto sets? I always love to do that on lunch, just walk around and see what they were building. And you know. yeah, our, our stage was on the opposite side of the lot from our writing room. So it was, uh, you know, a good 10 minute walk, 15 minute walk to get across the lot. And you never knew what you were going to run into. Like I, I was late. So I'm running to, to get to a run through and I turn a corner and there's a lion and a guy's holding it on a boat chain. That's hilarious. And I just froze. I slowly backed up and <laughs> ran, <laughs> ran in a completely different direction because uh, I did not need to cr- cross paths with a lion. But one day, we're, we're go- again, going to a run through and I hear Get Back being played. Okay. And it sounds live, but, I, you know, usually the crews, when they're building the sets and stuff, will blast music. So I thought maybe it was just like somebody's boombox or something. Yeah. And, and I, we look in the stage, and Paul McCartney's on there with the band. And they're shooting, uh, I guess, D- DVD kind of extras from for something he was releasing, one of a new album or something. Yeah. 
And so we're sitting in the doorway and we watched him do Hey Jude. Uh, I mean, it was it was the most insane. Nobody's in there. Just a couple guys. They were still building um, some of the set design stuff. So they're banging away on the hammers and he's on stage rehearsing with the band. And we're standing in the doorway going, oh, my God, that's Paul McCartney. Oh, my God, that's Paul McCartney. Oh, my God, that's Paul McCartney. Yeah. It was it was insane, you know. So you never know. And, and we we filmed next to uh, Men in Black uh, for two movies. We filmed, you know, you just see stars walking around. It is it is weird. It is a weird environment because you do you do never know who or what you're going to see. Yeah. Okay. So I I want to do this. We gotta we're gonna we are uh I can seriously this is they could be like a four hour show, but like what was the uh, do you remember the first script you had your name on? I. Do I don't remember the name of the script. Uh, it was I I uh, wrote it with Kevin and his brother. We wrote a script uh, with help of for the writers. You know, it was the first script kind of we all had written. So they uh, it was I think it was a show that might have introduced Gary's character on the show. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, so, of so course, Gary fun. wanted to write that one. Hey, let's write something for me. <laughs> Well, I think it was just like in the beginning, you know, when Kevin got there, he's just an actor who's probably going to be on a show that's canceled in six episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no. So by the time we wrote one, it was on the back nine where the show was doing pretty well, looked like we were going to be around for a while. So then Kevin kind of got a little bit more power and a little bit more say so of stuff he wanted to do. And he wanted us to to take a crack at writing one so that's awesome so how was it you turn in the draft and everybody's like yeah pretty good pretty good yeah i think for a first draft it was uh, it was decent but you know as you know mike when we write these scripts uh, and maybe the audience doesn't know but we'll we'll go off and write a draft and come back in and and then you know either the whole writing staff or at yeah. least half the writing staff will table this we call it tabling which is we'll go from page one and you know it it changes and you you know we both know the sting of like oh man i love that joke or i love that or the you know it, it gets put through the mill of of the showrunner <laughs> yes and you know partly to you know homogenize uh the episodes sometimes people will have different writing styles or you know maybe write it a little bit off of the tone of the show Yes. So the showrunner will just kind of put it in the voice that he hears in his head it's his show and, uh, you know, we get upset and we pout for uh, an hour and then we uh, move Dude, on to the next the next one. When you're talking about the showrunner putting it in his voice. So so I'm, uh, I went from like the punch up guy on George Lopez one day a week. So then they come in, you know, I'm doing two days a week after a few episodes. And then uh, the, the Robert Borden. The, the creator of the show with Bruce Helford is like, hey, what, you know, what would you think about coming in every day and being like a staff writer? And, you know, I got a, I got a kid on the way and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll do it. And in the back of my head, I'm like, OK, how's this going to balance out with stand up? You know, just before dude, coming in two days a week was just like like winning the lottery, like winning the lottery. I would come in. I would come in on Monday, Tuesday, and then I could go on the road Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. So I got a script to write. They're like, all right, Lofty, you're going to put your name on this one. And then you're in there, and they're showing you the outline. And, dude, it's like all these events are happening in the show, but I just don't see the emotional through line to it all. And so yeah, 
And so I'm following the outline. I know to do that. I'm following the outline and I'm putting jokes in it and blah, 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 blah. And dude, I hand it in and I'm I'm going to I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like I'm so nervous about this. <laughs> and the showrunner comes in, Bruce Helford, and uh, and he's got his notes. He's got his notes. And you know how you turn down the top oh. corner of the oh, dude, dude, oh. dude. <laughs> so. Um. So we break it down, and uh, my buddy, the, the like Robert Borden, is like, "So Bruce, what'd you think?" And Bruce is like, "I stopped reading after." <laughs> He's like, "He couldn't take it. He couldn't take it." And then, and so I'm just, I, I want to die. And and Borden is like, uh, "Well, you know, Loftus followed the outline. He followed the outline." And Bruce is like, "Well, yeah, but you know." And then, so all I can see is like train tracks of this outline that are just kind of crazy. But then Bruce starts walking through it and dude, it all made perfect sense. Like the way he saw it. And the, and I'm like, okay, so shame on you for giving me this to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you gotta, yeah, you gotta start somewhere. I was the same way. You know, I got sent off to write with, uh, they were filming a, uh, an episode in New York where the you know the EPs were going, so they said, "Well, while we go to New York, write your episode." But we kind of they sort of slapped together an outline, and I hadn't written a script by myself before, so I tried to stick to what was said. But what right. was said wasn't particularly thought out, and then it's like, "Oh, this guy sucks." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you know, we spent less time on my outline than any other outline in the history of the show, but yeah. Uh, I'm not bitter. That was an that was another thing that that uh, that dinner thing that I had with with Ray Romano where we're talking about shows and comedy and all this stuff. When they knew, and I don't know, maybe you guys did this over on on uh, King of Queens. Uh, Ray was telling like, well, we we at a point, you know, we did we were coming back, so you know, during the hiatus, we would have extra stories already ready, you know, broken out, and so we would send off you know, a couple of writers. And then, so when we started a new season, we already had like six or seven shows written. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't do that. Um, they were a bigger hit than we were, but we would always, uh, we were doing 24 a year and they even would have asked for more. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, maybe to some of your listeners, some of your rabid fans, but 24 episodes is a lot. You can shoot episodes much faster than you can write episodes. Yeah. So by the time we got to the end of the year, we were hand to mouth the week before slapping it, you know, like cranking out an outline. Somebody would go blaze to write it. You know, we'd have to rewrite it a lot during the week. And the, the episodes came out okay, but we were so out of gas by the time we hit the end of the season that nobody really wanted to sit there and talk about, Hey, so what do we want to do next year? You know, the showrunner. Was yeah. Like, we'll, we'll address that in June when we come back refreshed. So, yeah. Um, it is a good idea if you know the show and you know, you're coming back and you have that luxury. Gosh, it would be heaven because we ran out of scripts, you know, I think it's against, I think it's against the union rules. I uh, as I'm as I'm saying it, I'm like maybe I shouldn't have told that story. <laughs> I don't know that it is. I think the problem is is that like let's say you and I get assigned a script, but for whatever reason we don't bring you back or you don't come back or the negotiation you know, have a contract negotiation that doesn't go well. Yeah, 
you've already made them a part of that show and that season. You know, it's a gray area legally, I think, but I think they had all their writers kind of under contract and knew they were coming back. And, you know, if there was any doubt about somebody maybe getting a deal and moving on, then they probably wouldn't get one to write. It's my guess. So, so let me ask you this. Was there a time like when the show wrapped, like was because I know when when Lopez, you know, you know, every show is going to end. Uh, and that was my first show. You know, King of Queens was was your first show. But but I guess it would be different for you. I know I was on the road and I got the call and like, OK, so ABC is not going to pick up the show. And I'm like, OK, you know, you know, back to stand up, really, really focused, stand up, stand up, stand up. Uh, but I, I'm thinking you were probably doing features with with uh, with Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I. I didn't mean to stop doing stand-up. Like, as you were saying, you can't really do much during the season. You know, it's hard to stay sharp. For a few years, the first couple of years, I would do theaters with Kevin. I would open for him. Yes. So I would just hit the clubs, any clubs I could for like two weeks just to get back up to speed. Right. Then we'd do these theaters, and they were pretty fun. And then, you know our hiatus would be over and I'd be back to work and I'd forget all my comedy again. So it got to the point where regrouping to do a few shows was so stressful because I couldn't remember. And I didn't, you know, you have to listen to tapes and watch videos and kind of, you know, it, it, it's uh, right, right. Like riding a bike, but you, you have to, you know, put in your reps to be sharp. And I was never sharp. And so I kind of just stopped doing it at some point. I don't even know when, Boo. Um, yeah. Boo. But I was pitching and writing different things, and I did work on, you know, some movies, Zookeeper with Kevin, and Here Comes the Boom, and uh, things like that. So uh, I didn't miss it necessarily because I was working and hustling different things. But uh, when we hit Kevin Can Wait years, when you were going out with Kevin and we were writing all writing bits and stuff. and Right. I did miss that. Then I was like, oh, this is fun. You know, I do miss that part of it. The be, You know, when we write, uh, as you know, Mike, we have a lot of people to answer to. You know, the showrunner or even if you are the showrunner, the network executives, the studio executives, the talent, the, you know, the money people. You know, there's a lot that goes into it that affects what you write. And sometimes you're forced to change things that you don't maybe agree with, you know, yeah. necessarily, but you have to do what you have to do where stand up is you write it, you direct it, you perform it. And if it's bad, it's all you. And if it's good, it's all you. And that, you know, high wire act is so fun to do, you know? Yes. And you know what? I think, and, and this is like not to besmirch any of our uh, writing uh, compatriots, but it's like, we always know, like, <laughs> I always, I'm like, listen, I, I, I know for a fact I'm funny. Like I go, <laughs> like with, with some writers, uh, you know, and of, of, you know, films and, and TV, like they, they don't know, they don't know for sure until they, <laughs> until they start filming it. But I'm like, no, I, I know for a fact I'll go, I, I, I can, I can literally go up in front of a room with like 150 strangers, and I know for a fact they're going to laugh when yeah. I want them to. 
Well, it's funny because, like, I remember when I was first in the room, A, I didn't know how to write. I didn't go to Yale. I'm not, a, uh, you know, uh, familiar with the classics or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was out of my element, but I was a black belt in jokes and comedy. I read book. you know, I, I, I know tons of uh, historical facts about comedy. I know the the greats, their work. I've read all of Woody Allen's books. I've read Steve Allen's books. Um, so I am a black belt at that one thing. But when you're in a writer's room and you're, you know, a staff writer, like we were when we started, there's not a ton of respect for low level writers. So a lot of your pitches just get shot down because you're a staff writer. Yes. You know what I mean? And so then you go, man, I've lost my, I, I used to know it was funny, but I guess not. And then you realize, you know, maybe there's more to it in terms of, you know, yeah, they're not seeing it the way, you know, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm sure you read people's scripts and you go, that will 100 percent get a laugh. And yes, yeah, 99 times you'll be right. You know what I mean? We just know you and I know that's not the way to word the joke. We had a, an executive. Uh, I don't want to rat him out, but. Yeah, dance around the guy. Dance around it. A very nice guy, but gave us a note because logically the line we wrote didn't make sense if you sat there and thought about it. Yes. Which he was 100% right. And we did the joke in front of the audience and it got a big laugh. And then he came in with a note. It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense logically. And I said, you're right. But if we say it the logical way, there will be no laugh. And I said, I will prove it to you right now. <laughs> ran in the line change. You and I ran in the line change. The actor did the line that way to crickets. Yeah. And, and I say, so I will put in whichever version you want me to put in, in the final edit, but one is funny and one is not. <laughs> and, I it's had, something I you had know wrote down one time we were I was doing this show called Anger Management with Charlie Sheen and uh, he was a therapist in it and, and yeah, one, great of his, show, great show. one of his oh you're very kind one of his one of his therapy uh, therapy pages was this guy uh, uh, Barry Corbin who played the astronaut on uh, on that uh, yeah, yeah 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 Northern Exposure just a great dude and he was like this like kind of like just an old school what people would think is a racist now but he's just old school and i had this line for him to say and everybody's going that's not a joke like the other like the the other producers and the, like they look at me like i'm crazy and i'm like dude <laughs> it's a huge joke it's a huge joke and they're like that's not a joke so they were having like this this like existential argument over what is comedy and so we're filming the scene and and my bit wasn't in and they they're like well we'll get it as a pickup and uh you know because we were filming in 100 episodes back to back it was always like shoot and move shoot and move shoot and move and so we come to the scene and they do their line and it's like you know haha it's pretty funny and i'm like well hold on let's let's get mine and they got they we got to move we got to move and i'm like we're all here right now just let's get my line and they they to like just to be nice you know <laughs> And they were kind of condescending. <laughs> I give I give Barry the new line, and uh, he kind of looks at me like I'm crazy. And uh, and he goes out and he films it. He goes out and he films it, and the place just loses their mind. 
And it was like such a satisfying <laughs> moment. Just a satisfying moment. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's crazy. But you know what? Here's the deal. I, I couldn't. I don't like watching. I get so jealous when like, like of, of stand-ups. Like I remember when they all want us, oh, we all have to go watch George Lopez at the Universal Amphitheater. And I know George is going to crush. I know he's going to crush. And I'm like, well, I'll watch from the green room. I'll watch on the monitor. Yeah. And like, you know, with, with Kevin, you know, I just like, he has this ability. Like you were, you were out here, uh, you know, getting back into stand-up and working out some new bits. And so, you know, Kevin and I, we're going out there and like, I immediately want to sign up to be on stage. I immediately yeah, and Kevin yeah, yeah. can just be, maybe it's because he's a movie star and we're not, but like he can just sit in the back and watch. And I've never understood that. Like someone's on stage telling jokes. Don't you want to be on stage telling jokes? Yeah. I think, you know, when you do theaters, the way he does theaters, they're all great shows. They've all paid a good amount of money to see you. They're well-behaved. There's no check spot. There's no bottles yeah. dropping on the floor. And I, I know sometimes, because you and I have helped him shape up his, you know, hour-long, you know, TV specials and whatnot. And we'd go to some of the local clubs, and you get the heckler, or in his case, it'll be just people that yell out, Kevin, we lie. where's Jerry still? And they just start yelling. Yeah. And I think it's not as fun when you have to go back to those days of, you know, being a lion tamer and getting the crowd under control because the, the clubs are, you know, anything can happen as you, yeah. you know, you see on the videos these days. So I think for him, it's like, why would I want to put up with that or the risk of that when I can just do my shows? Great crowds. Everybody's yeah. happy. That's got to so, be a that's got to be a great place to try new material. Like it, you know, you're you're Kevin. You're out of the theater. It's a sold out show. Like you're saying, everybody paid a lot of dough. They want to see you. They want you to succeed. You've got to feel really good trying out new material. So, um, but I see. I think I think doing stand up. I, I I'm gonna be that old guy. Hopefully, uh, you know that they'll be like, "Are you sure you want to go up?" And I'll be doing. Let me joke. Here's a joke I did in 1990. <laughs> but like you're you're back. You're doing it. You're you're cranking out new material. You're on the TikToks and the Instagrams. You know. I I love it. I I you know again I hadn't uh, I hadn't let it go in a way that I, I just stopped. I didn't quit because I was done with it. So I wanted to see if I could do it again after 17 years or something like that. I don't even know how long, but. Uh, and it's really, you know, you saw me, how nervous I was, like, just trying to remember the material was hard, you know, because I've blown up, uh, I've added new jokes, I've taken out parts of jokes, mixed it with another part of another, you know, so it's this big goulash of slop that I have to try and piece together and do on stage, and it's it's hard, and then, you know, there's been some nights where I kind of get it together, and I'm like, oh, man, now I remember what it was like, you know, to have people laughing and yeah telling your story and it was it's fun you know and writing new jokes you know it's kind of something that you and i have both talked about we love you know when a script needs jokes they would always call on us you know like get in there let's write some shit yeah so uh writing material after not writing stand-up for for a long time is it's been fun and you know and and it's like 
for sitcom writing, we look for stories, things that happen between you and your wife, or yeah, you know, we find we we start to look at life for a story. What could be a story? What could be a movie? Comedy, you know, like I just got this is true, and this isn't a bit that I've I've gotten through, but when you get to be over a certain age, which I am, you start getting different spam. So I first I got AARP, they track you down. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, you know, we just want to let you know you're old, you know, because you don't realize that. And then now I've started to get um, cremation letters, (laughs) which I don't have the joke for it, but it was for affordable cremation, which I don't even know what that means. Affordable. Do they not cook you all the way to ash it? Like are there fingers in your urn and like, hey, there's his hand. There's his dick. Oh, my God. No, that's his dick. Uh, see his smile. He cheaped out. He cheaped out on the, on the, but you know what I mean? Stuff like that, that I'm trying to, you know, yeah, just fo- fold that into a joke. I don't know what it is yet, but I got this. Uh, I see, I work everything out on stage. I, I like come out with the premise and then I'll just like work it out on stage. But like the one that's bugging me now is the people on Facebook who post like, uh, you know, Hey, here's a picture of, uh, you know, of uh, uh, whoever, some movie star, you know, and listen, what's you look, you feel old yet? And I'm like, <laughs> why do you want to be that? Why do you want to be a dick? Yeah, I, yeah, I feel old yet. Dude, I felt old yet before I saw your dumbass picture. I feel old when I, when I get out of bed. My yeah. My are popping. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. You'll, you'll want to know this. Uh, we were uh, between... Uh, scenes the other night we were pre-shooting some stuff for for that show tonight and everybody's just talking about you know comedy this and comedy that and someone brought up uh your your vax bit which is just hilarious oh that's funny yeah i uh i did get boosted i got faxed the first time but but i yeah the joke that i say is that i which is true i felt pressured to do it i thought we were coming back on the crew so I was like, all right, I'll do it. I didn't really feel comfortable, but I got pressured into it. So the joke I say is, you know, I, I got the first one, but I'm not getting any of the boosters. I, I, Since I've been vaccinated, I don't feel well. I'm tired all the time. I have bags under my eyes. I'm 26 years old, people. <laughs> which, for those who are listening, I'm much older than that with gray hair. <laughs> Uh, but then I've, I've, I've added to that, you know, it's like when you say work it out on stage from doing that, somebody yelled out, uh, I don't want it. I just don't like the shot. I couldn't lift my arm for a week. And I was like, yeah, no, I get it. Cause I heard that I didn't have that when I got the vaccine, but I heard people saying that you, you won't be able to lift your arm. So my, I said, as an improv on stage, I said, yeah, you'd think in 2022, We'd have better delivery systems than a giant needle. Like, come on, put it in a gummy bear. We'll all take the gummy bear. Or uh, go to Costco, you know, those little paper cups that they put the samples in. Put the vaccine in there. I'll have 50 vaccines. I'll eat anything in a paper cup. So I just started going off on that and uh, came up, you know, with a little uh, addendum to that bit that's soon to be obsolete. But yeah, like the other night, the other night my kids were out. I have high school kids. Uh, and my, I asked my wife, Hey, you want to fool around? And she said, um, if we have to, 
if, if we have to, what does that even mean? Uh, was that a consent? I had no idea. Is that consent? Like, is she trying to bring me down? Is this a setup? But you just take those little nuggets that happen in your life. And, you know, that's what's fun about stand-up is how can I take that and add it to the quilt of what I do yeah. on stage? And uh, so, I, I love your, your all your stuff. I mean, it's so funny. You just hammer. If, if your fans haven't seen you live... They need to see Mike Loftus live because you wreck rooms, guy. Oh, wreck you're them. funny. You're funny. It's it's too great. Um, Where are you coming? Uh, are you being around? Or are you have any dates uh, on the on the books? Oh, I'm heading. Um, I don't want to announce anything here as as dates are still uh, moving around, but it looks like I'm gonna be going down to. Uh, yeah. Ooh, I can, I'm not allowed to announce that. I'm not allowed. To, but I'll All just right. see this. I open a I can of corn. Huh? Texas. I might be going to Texas to do some stuff. All right. Uh, so before we before we go, I just want to know where can people uh, see your stuff? What's your what's your you're on Instagram? You're on the TikToks. How yeah, can they I'm on the uh, the Instagram at uh, Rock Rubin R E U B E N one the number one. I don't know why I'm the only Rock Rubin on there, but for some reason I can't just be the Rock Rubin. It's a self esteem thing. It's a self esteem thing. I just want to knock you down a peg. No, you just got to put the number one up. It's like Evil Knievel, and then he had All the right. one, right? That's, just to let so, you guys know. It's a subliminal. Just just so you know, I'm number one. Uh, all right, dude, uh, we got to have you back on just to talk about stand-up and stuff, because as you're talking, because uh, you always had a bit on, on Kevin Can Wait. I don't even know if we ever used it in a show, but it was like the no offense. No offense, but. And, like, nothing good ever happens <laughs> after you hear no offense. And it's not a get out of jail free card. Like you can't just say, "Hey, no offense," and yeah, then yeah. expecting not to get banned. <laughs> no offense, but this is going to offend you. Yeah, that's funny. I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, Damarera had that great joke of, uh, "I don't mean that in a bad way." Did you ever hear that bit from him? No. He would do it. It's kind of the opposite of the joke where he would say, "Hey, you know, Mike, not for nothing, but your breath is is." Terrible. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> but Herrera, uh, is he still out there doing it? I think he is. He is. Yeah. He. Uh, I, I don't. I've seen a few uh, people posting stuff on Instagram with him and stuff. Such a great guy. One of the funniest people I've ever seen. It's almost like mass hypnosis. Like he's got that, like that cadence, and he's just kind of like Norm Macdonald had. And, and I'm not saying any, it's like. Great writers, true. Great writers, great performers. However, it's always nice when when somebody's got that cadence, you know. Yeah. Like once you get into that groove, every, I remember a buddy of mine, uh, a really good, a really good writer and a talented stand-up. He was going out to Vegas to see uh, freaking Phyllis Diller, and I'm like, guy, what are you doing? He's like, no, I want to check it out. And I go, I go, uh, you know, how was the show? afterwards he goes it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen in, in my life he goes once you get into her rhythms it's it's game over and who else yeah. was like i was talking to some other uh old timer who's the stand-up who was in the movie uh pretty woman uh miller larry miller yeah larry miller yeah yeah uh and and i was asking him like who's the funniest guy you ever saw and he he's like dude it was um uh milton burl and I thought he was I thought he was joking with me, but he saw Milton Berle in Vegas, like back in the 70s, the early 70s or something. 
and he just said it. He, Milton Berle was just like this, like uh, like like Mike Tyson, like everything was like boom, 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 and like people were like literally falling down. People couldn't walk. They're wow. they're literally rolling in the aisles, and it's like, damn, I wish I had a time machine. I wish I had a time machine. Yeah, yeah. The best I saw was Jay Leno, and I've seen and and he wasn't. Again, just like the other, like I like Jay Leno, but he wasn't one that, like, if you ask me who's your favorite comic, I'd go Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Robert Klein. You know, there's there's other comics I would have cited, but yeah, I saw him twice. I saw him once at a comedy club when he was kind of a big star, but he owed him a favor. He had canceled the date. Right. And it was the hardest I've ever laughed. And then I saw him at the Westbury, was the Westbury Music Theater, uh, in the round with a few thousand people and just destroyed same kind of thing, just machine gun delivery. Yeah. And you, you know, in comedy, you kind of, when you get the people laughing really hard, you generally will take a drink or kind of bring it down and then go into your next chunk kind of thing. Yeah. He would go 10 minutes longer, like to the point where he couldn't listen anymore. Everybody was laughing so hard. He, he was just the best I've, I've ever seen. It was amazing. Yeah, that's what that's what Larry Miller was talking about, like Milton Berle, that it was just merciless. Like, yeah, yeah. People are, people are like doubled over and holding their sides. And he's like, no, I'm going to keep going. I'm not stopping until I break ribs. It's just, <laughs> I remember, who's the guy? Oh, I think he's dead now. Um, uh, we're not big pants people. Oh, Kevin Meany, yeah. I did some shows with Kevin Meany uh, at the Improv uh, in Atlantic City, and every night, every night, even even if the whole audience wasn't like he he that guy just destroyed me. Like it was a yeah. workout. It was a workout. My guts would be hurting. My stomach just so funny. Oh man! Yeah, he. I yeah, I worked with him a few times down in Florida, and just he he did blow the roof roof off the place. He was just the the energy and the we're big pants people. You know that's not <laughs> right. What's wrong with you? I um, don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, he okay, just so leveled room. Before I let you go, we've gone long. We've gone long, and everybody, listen, you got to come over to Patreon. I'm gonna do news, pop culture, all that stuff's over there. Uh, over on Patreon. But before we go, who's out there now that really makes you laugh? Um, I I worked with him a little bit back in the day when he was starting out, Bill Burr. Burr's funny, yeah. Um, makes me laugh. I'm trying to think of who... Are you talking about newer, the, the, the kids that are I out there? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know of anybody, like, young and up and coming, really. I mean, Burr's great. You know, but he's, you know, he's got that thing now. He 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 can almost just, you know, just say sentences in the in his cadence and just get you know not to take away from his writing. He's he's earned every bit of it. The guy's hilariously funny. We uh we did this whole bit with like Elf on a Shelf, and we did you know you've heard of Elf on a Shelf. Now get ready for you know Cat on a Mat, and we got this new cast member who does a who does a Cat Williams impression. And man, <laughs> Cat William, that dude just he he's one of those guys he could read the phone book. I'd be laughing. Yeah. I you know who's a guy I like watching him on Instagram. I don't know uh Sam Morrill. You know yep. him? Yeah. He seems to be pretty popular right now. He just shows clips of him working the crowd, but uh I don't know his act act per se, but 
the clips he posts, he's pretty quick on his feet. You know, he's uh, a good uh, ad libber, at least the ones he shows. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I like watching him. <laughs> All right. Rock Rubin, thanks so much for being here, buddy. It's good catching up with you. We gotta have you back on. We gotta get. We gotta dig into the into the dirty notebook of it all. We yes. For movies and all that stuff. But the time, she just goes. I'm looking at the. I'm looking at this. And I'm like, we could. We could literally. We could go for hours. But I'm not selfish. I appreciate that because I got nothing to do all day, and I gotta get to it. <laughs> all right, buddy. <laughs> all right, Lofty. Everybody, I'll see you over on Patreon.